Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. We, believe it or not, have come to week 10 of a teaching series that we've been living into since the latter part of the summer that we have named Aspire. And the entirety of the the sermon series is really rooted in this sort of basic idea, claim, faith claim that we as as people of the book, of, of the scriptures, Old and New Testament, that we believe that we as the human race collectively and as individuals are made, are crafted in the image of God. We are made in the image of the maker and as As such, we believe that we look to God as God is depicted to us in our tradition to understand who it is that God seeks and desires us to aspire to become. We began with God as triune community from which kind of bubbled forth this God of dreaming of what could be and then a God who created a world, built it out and created human beings and and even when human beings sort of went awry and took the story to the, to the dark end or to the dark chapter that it enters into, God is resilient. God does not cut and run. God doesn't just choose to sort of start over, but God invests with the people of Abraham. God is faithful. We see God as healer. We see God as the God who sets the table, who paves the way, who is always going before us, creating and setting the place for the next right thing for us to do and to be. And all of these realities we see to be our aspirations as a people who follow after the Christ. And this morning, this morning we come to the theme of hope. Our belief that as a people of faith, at sort of ground level, sort of the most basic, fundamental, foundational reality, like our hope is rooted in God. Sounds obvious, but sometimes existentially we don't, we don't say it or believe it or lean into it. But we believe that God is good and that God is love and that God has made each of us for forever life with God in goodness, and because of that, no matter how dark things get, no matter how crazy 2020 unfolds before us, we continue to be anchored and to anchor one another, and we're gonna get to that, to anchor one another in this claim, this belief, this fundamental reality that together we hold that God is good, God is love, and God will be and we will be with God and all will be well. This morning to, to, to enter into this idea, this aspiring theme of our call to be hope bearers in our lives and in the world, we're gonna take a look at a reading from the, Apostles, the Apostle Paul's letter to the ancient church in the city of Corinth. Uh, the second letter, Paul uses a metaphor within this text that is quite profound and is really fascinating as you kind of dive deeper into how the Corinthian church may have heard this metaphor as Paul just kind of almost whimsically drops it and then continues to move along in his train of thought. So 
Friends, I invite you now um, to embrace a posture of receptivity. And as I read from Holy Scripture, I invite you to listen for the Word of God for us today. We'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in ministry, we don't lose hearts. We've renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to lie about God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, Christ who is the image of God. Paul says, we don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus the Christ as Lord and ourselves as slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness. God who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it might be clear to us that this extraordinary power belongs to God and doesn't come from us. No, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we haven't given in to despair. We're persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with scripture, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Everything is for your sake. So the grace, as it extends to more and more and more people, may increase more and more and more the thanksgiving to the glory of God. So Paul writes to this ancient church in the midst of his own suffering and trials. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure that you can't even measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what, cannot be seen, for what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is the eternal. We don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus the Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus sake. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me.
Holy One, God who was before there was a was to even reflect on, God who shall be far and beyond anything we can imagine. Reveal yourself to each and every one of us in this time now. Give us open hearts to receive, give us ears to hear. May your word, your truth, transform us, move us, shake us, empower us. God, take these words that I prepared and may they be your word for your people in this time. And I ask God that you would speak through them and where necessary in spite of me. And God, I pray that as, as I preach and as we engage together that the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of all of our hearts across this digital landscape would all indeed be found good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, a rock, God, a redeemer, God, our savior, God, who is our hope. In the name of the Christ, we pray, and everyone typed, amen. So last Sunday, after our communion service here at Eastside that we experienced with so many of you after uh, the regular worship service, I went home, as I do, and when I got there, there was nobody, nobody there, and there's almost always people home when I go home. So I picked up my phone and I called my wife and I said, hey, just got here and nobody's, nobody's in the house and the alarm's set, what's up? And she goes on to tell me what to you all is going to sound like the most mundane thing in the world, but was actually really exciting for me. She said, I'm going to pick up some free glassware down the street that I heard about on one of the Facebook yard sales groups that I am a part of. So she had loaded the kids into the car. They had just left. I pulled up or rode up in my bike and they ran down the street to get some glassware, which again, sounds really boring to you all, but what you probably don't know about our house, specifically our kitchen, is that it has actually been scientifically proven that the Lloyd Kitchen, unlike any other place on the planet, the gravitational pull in the Lloyd Kitchen is actually the most potent on the face of the earth. And you can kind of imagine maybe where this goes, given the fact that she was going to pick up free glassware. But there's just this thing that happens in our kitchen where people have like a glass, a normal glass in their hand with like a normal amount of liquid, and it just falls to the ground just over and over again. All different kinds of people, most of them are related to me. But it got so bad in terms of, of available glassware that I started like saving cans, or not cans, but um, jars that at one point had jalapenos in them. They actually make pretty good water glasses. They come with a lid too, it's fantastic. And so, we, so our cupboard was just like this mismatch of all of these random containers because all the matching glassware had long since been destroyed by the gravitational pull in our home. But what was really cool and interesting and serendipitous and fascinating was when Elizabeth got back with this glassware, like two giant boxes full of 16-ounce glasses, inscribed on them, almost all of them, was the logo for the Path Foundation. 
And if you were present in worship last Sunday and listened to the message, you, realize, you remember that one of my main stories and metaphors and connecting themes was indeed the PATH Foundation. Just this really fascinating coincidence that all of these free glasses that she brought home that are going to live in our cupboard now for hopefully like at least a month um, have the logo and the image of the path, this beautiful foundation that has been at work transforming the, the rough urban Atlanta landscape into a reality where pedestrians can actually have a place where we can run and cycle and walk and be outside and not be worried about some of the best drivers in the world. That was an Atlanta driving joke. But it's interesting because these glasses, not only do they, do they match what I was preaching about that morning, literally, but they're really like heavy duty, like thick glass. You can kind of tell when you get a, a glass in your hand how, qual how much quality it is. And, and these are weighty glasses and you can just kind of feel that I, th these glasses might actually be able to sustain the insane gravitational pull in the Lloyd kitchen. They might make it if they fall to the ground. They might just bounce right back up and land back in my hand. I don't know, I haven't tried it, but I'm sure my kids will soon. But it's fascinating because not only are these glasses on the external marked by this identifier that for us like reminds us, fill your glass with something that's going to help you when you go use the path later today, water or a smoothie, something positive. And at the same time, they're, they're just really functional. So they inspire by their exterior and encourage health, wholeness, and well-being, and they're super functional, and they feel really good in the hand, and they were free, which is always nice. I begin here this morning because in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul, he speaks to crafted containers. Right in the middle of our reading, he speaks to clay pots, and in so doing, and kind of around the, the theme of, of these clay vessels that Paul speaks of, he speaks to these huge truths about his ministry and his work with, with not only the Corinthian church, but churches spread across the ancient world. And he speaks to this reality that, that Paul's not flashy. They say he's not really a great speaker. Uh, you know, he, he, his presence wasn't terribly... Um, imposing or impressive. But Paul's bigger point in our text this morning is that all of us in our baptisms, in our allegiance to the Christ, have undergone this kind of, kind of complete transformation. We were something and now we are something new. We're a new identity, a new reality. We're living into a new way. And Paul uses the metaphor of these liquid-carrying vessels of clay pots to help the Corinthians understand this, which, if you just read through the text, you kind of miss what, why what Paul does here is, is arguably a little bit upsetting to the Corinthians. Because Paul doesn't unpack the metaphor. He just drops the image of these sort of earthen vessels, these clay pots, 
right in the middle and then keeps moving. But he's talking to the Corinthians and you have to remember that the Corinthians lived in Corinth. And Corinth was pretty well known for their pottery. But not just like Rubbermaid, you know, pottery that's really strong and that you can use to put stuff away in the refrigerator. We're talking about like ornate China-style pottery. It's not just functional glasses, but like maybe they were functional, but they were beautiful. They were covered in artistic uh, craftsmanship. Corinth had not just plain clay eating and drinking utensils. They had ornate pieces of art. So when they imagined pottery, they imagined beauty and aesthetics. And Paul knows this. And Paul intentionally says nothing about it, which is kind of interesting. Paul knows that the Corinthians are saying, right, and you're going to say something about Corinthian pottery, right? No, he doesn't. He just talks about the basic use of a clay pot that could be in Corinth or Rome or Jerusalem or any place else in the world. Fascinating. Because in the Corinthian mind, the first step was, of course, you make the pottery. And then, of course, you put it in the, the oven and you fire it and you harden it. And then comes the fun, right? That's when we pull the paints out and we create this functional piece of art that, that tells a story, not just has the ability to transfer beverage or food. But no, Paul uses pottery in this very crude way, almost defensive way. And he does it on purpose because Paul knows that the Corinthians, they're a culture, they're a people who, they were pretty caught up in externals. They really appreciated beauty and they appreciated art and artistry and magnificence and exterior wonder. They appreciated the externals. And I don't know that it's too big of a jump to say maybe the world that we're growing up in, that our kids are growing up in, the world of Instagram and the world of so much imagery and photography and YouTube and all of this visual, is it a world that also values and maybe arguably overvalues the external from makeup to clothes to cars to homes to exterior, exterior, exterior to how we craft our social media profiles and untag or delete photos we don't like of ourselves on the internet. We're a pretty visual culture and it seems like we're getting more and more visual. And as we do, I think the temptation's only gonna be that we become more and more and more focused on image, on externals, on how others' eyes interpret who we are. Which is ironic, right? Because most of us, at least I know I was raised with, with phrases like, beauty is only skin. Some of you can type in the comments the completion of that. Beauty is only skin deep. What's really important is what's on the inside, right? Dr. King's famous, often misused quote about humans being judged 
by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. But it seems like we live in a super visual world now, a super exterior world. And it doesn't seem like our culture has taken Dr. King's words very seriously when we continue to see the abuse and the murder of black bodies in our streets, when we continue to see the, the, outright, the outright hatred and the desire for some to, to do active harm to our LGBTQ siblings in Christ. We're becoming a hyper-visual culture, it seems as though, where we're really, really interested in people's exteriors. And the data supports this. You all have probably read the articles, but, and I don't have the stats in front of me right now, but I can send you the articles, but quick Google will get it for you. But something, something crazy like 90% of America's CEOs are a certain height, six foot or taller, are white and are male. The stats are, the, the stats are just absolutely incredible when you look at the exteriors and how they impact people's incomes. And it doesn't seem like we're making progress in this direction since Dr. King's famously misused quote, or often misused quote, it seems like we are almost going the other direction, becoming a more visual, more exterior society. And that seems to be who Paul was dealing with with the Corinthians when he mentions pottery and doesn't even bother to talk about the incredible ornate craftsmanship for which the Corinthians pottery was known because Paul doesn't, I don't know, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe his point is, I'm more interested, Corinthians, in your, your mission, your, your pragmatic capacity, what your, what your life is about. Maybe he's not interested in the ornate beauty of the Corinthians' exterior. Maybe he isn't concerned with skin tone or one's identified gender or height or weight or nation of origin. Maybe Paul isn't interested in age or perceived class, socioeconomics. Maybe because Paul knows that for the Corinthians, a huge stumbling block is their obsession with externals, with aesthetics. And Paul wants them to reorient as a people baptized into the way of Christ, as a people who understand that it's our souls, it is our hearts, it is our interior world. These are things that we're taught in kindergarten, but somehow you look at the adult world and it's like we're all operating as a bunch of kindergartners or more like middle schoolers out in the playground, right? It's crazy, it doesn't make any sense, but it's still the case. <sighs> History just seems to be repeating itself in our world today. But Paul wants the Corinthians to reorient and to re-examine their identity. He says, yes, you are clay, you are vessels, and your primary, your primary call and mission is to be bearers of the Christ, and as bearers of the Christ, you are bearers of hope in this world. Because here's the thing, if I'm out at a restaurant and I'm there for breakfast and I order coffee, 
and the waitress comes up and says, I'm really sorry, but we don't have any clean mugs. In fact, we don't have any mugs at all. We have plenty of coffee, but I can't bring it to you. And you see them bring out, you know, a tray full of ice water to someone else. Said, I'll take my coffee in a plastic cup. I don't mind, right? I'll take, the, I'll take the right beverage in the wrong cup rather than not have my coffee with breakfast, which is kind of what Paul's saying. A vessel's a vessel's a vessel, no matter how pretty or not it is on the outside. Functionally and pragmatically, it can carry the love of the Christ and hope of the world into the world. Didn't, it didn't cause us to keep those glasses that Elizabeth got for free because they said the path foundation on them, but it sure was a nice addition. Paul is saying, you are vessels who have been baptized and recrafted and reforged, and now you have the capacity in this life to bear the weight of the eternal right now. Hope bearers. Maybe I should have titled the sermon Vessels of Hope. But I like the language of bearing because bearing implies capacity and weight. And the whole text ends with Paul talking about what? But the weight of the eternal. And he's saying, but it's coming to bear now in the present. And you as the people of God, you have the gift, the calling, the capacity, the mission, the ability to be bearers of the weight of glory right now for one another and for this really, really hurting world. As I thought about this a lot throughout the past week, and I've preached on hope before, and, and, and it just, it was hitting me differently this, this week as, as I was thinking about the idea that hope is hope is hope is hope is hope. Okay, like, give me a 20 ounce glass of hope or give me a drop of hope. But like hope is hope and we need it. And the world needs it now. And I will take a drop of hope over just about anything else of real, Christian, substantial, weighty hope that God is good and God is love and God is eternal and God has plans and, and we are forever. And while this temporal reality right now might seem impossible, God is in front of it, God is behind it, God is in the middle of it, and we're gonna get through it. And we have forever together. We don't ask for a 20 ounce of hope or a gallon of hope. No, we just, we just ask for it in whatever form it will come to us, however much we can get or however little we can get. Paul's point was that you all are vessels with the capacity to bring hope to one another in the church, and you have capacity to bring hope into this world. As baptized followers of the Christ, you have been forged as vessels with capacity. And that's why Paul goes on, like right after he talks about the pots, to say all the stuff that he and his companions have been going through. He's like, we've been beaten up, but we're not crushed. That's like pottery language, crushed. We've been dropped, but we didn't shatter. We've been thrown against the wall, but we are still able to carry Corinthians, you are like strong, functional clay pots that can be dropped and can be picked back up. You can be beat up by this world and can go back out. You can do 2020 with a smile on your face some of the time. 
Paul's making friends an argument here for a collective mission and vocation and capacity that all of us have as people of Christ, as followers in the way. And Paul says here, nothing, notice, he doesn't say anything here about gender or skin color or height or age, or your nation of origin, or how much you do or don't weigh. He doesn't speak to your ableness. No. Paul here, he's arguing that, that we're all equal and that we're all vessels and we can all carry hope to one another into this world. And hope, it doesn't come in measured quantities. It's just, I'll take a drop. I'll take, I'll take as much as I can get. The world would be foolish to trade a 20-ounce vessel of something else when they could have a drop of true, embodied, weighty Christian hope from another human being on this planet. And the huge message of the gospel and of our Christian faith is that in our beautiful, grand diversity of the exteriors of our bodies, our bodies are masterpieces, they're wondrous realities, but we also share in common, even in all the diversity of our bodies, this capacity to bear hope to the other humans on this planet, in our lives, to one another. Babies, friends, babies who have no self-awareness, who are not even self-conscious really yet, they bear hope. They just, by their being, bear hope. Folks on the edge of transition in hospice care, to those who are visiting, they can bear hope. Moms who are pulling their hair out, losing their minds, and dads doing virtual learning with their children. They can bear hope to their kids, to the teacher. A word of encouragement to a, a worn out teacher a month and a half in. The dads who've lost their jobs, or the other moms who've lost their jobs that are at home because of COVID. You can bear hope right now in ways that you might not have been able to otherwise because you're home and you have time. How can you bear hope to your own family? The Corinthians, their city made beautiful pottery with beautiful exteriors, but Paul's not interested in that because he wants us all to know that, yes, you may be beautiful on the outside, but you all have in common as, as followers of Christ forged in baptism the capacity to be vessels of hope. It doesn't matter what gender identity you assign to. It doesn't matter what your nation of origin is, what your skin tone is, what your, what your political leanings are, what your socioeconomics are. Paul's not really interested in that right now. His point is that the world is really thirsty. And all of you have the capacity to carry a glass to be the glass that God has made you to be. And friends, sometimes, in Troy, actually, the, the song that he introduced this morning, again, one of these serendipitous moments, where we, we sort of, as a staff, in, in, in our philosophy, we think about this worship service as a collective offering, as, as a vessel coming together with all the various components. We come together and we're attempting to make a container and we're asking God to fill it. And then when I look out, when you're all here, actually, I can't see you now, obviously, but when you're here, I can imagine these living pots, right, sitting out in the pews. And I, my hope is that, that, we, that, that, that those would lean in 
so that we can see the, the top of the, of the pot and the, the, the worship can flow into each and every one in this space. And then as we are filled, we can go back out and tip towards others in our lives. Vessels of hope. It's a, it's a calling and a capacity that all of us have. And maybe some of us can just, just bring one drop out of this place to one person out there and maybe that one drop is all they needed to keep going. And that's, that's, maybe that was your mission this week. And maybe, and maybe you're just like, hey, I'm coming to church, I'm reading, I'm praying and the moment, the moment it fills me, moments later, it's all gone again. And it's true that Paul speaks of resilient pots that have been broken or that have been dropped and not broken, but sometimes life can beat us up such that we have cracks at the bottom and we need, to work, we need help. And this morning, if you're just like, no matter what I try, it's so temporary and I just feel empty. I just feel depleted again. It may be time to talk to somebody. First off, just get it outside of yourself. Talk to a partner or a friend or a family member. Talk to a therapist. Talk to me, your pastor. You may need some outside help to help you with some healing. You may have some cracks that run so deep that you're struggling just to, to, to be a vessel that can carry even a drop of hope. And if that's where you're at this morning in the midst of 2020 and everything, please don't do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. That's why we're here. Talk to us, talk to somebody in your life, get some help. It doesn't have to stay that way forever. Cracks can be mended. Broken pots can be made new and redeemed and healed. So friends, I pray that as we continue on in this strange and challenging year, as many of us are tired, I pray that we don't lose sight of the fact that in our baptisms we have been, been forged as vessels of hope and we get to be that for one another. We get to be that for this world, but we gotta fill and we have to go out and find those ways to be that vessel to those in our lives. So in the name of God, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, I pray that it would be so with all of us. Amen and amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org and find our giving portal there.